listening to Family Petals, the podcast for people questioning the status quo and living life a little bit differently. I'm your host, Sarah Copper. Today, Lisa Corabo joins me on the show. She is a parent, blogger, and cycling teacher and advocate in Vancouver, British Columbia. You may know her from her blog or social media as Spokesmama. She and I talk about how her family gets around without a car, how they use car share, and what she has learned from her teaching and advocacy work. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I first found Lisa via Instagram when I was searching the car-free family hashtag and stumbled upon her account. So fellow Instagrammers, she's a great follow on Instagram and posts lots of bike and family biking related things there. Thanks. Yeah. Can you go ahead and give a general introduction to who you are, what you do, who's in your family? I am a mother of two. My kids are seven or And let's see, we live in Vancouver, BC, and we don't have a car. We don't own a car, I should say. So biking is our our primary mode of transportation. Where we live is quite walkable. It's relatively dense as well. So it's pretty easy to get groceries or mail a letter or do any kind of daily type of thing within just a couple of kilometers. When we need to go on longer trips, we also use car sharing. There's a lot of that in our city. For work, I'm a cycling instructor for a nonprofit here called Hub Cycling. I've been biking as my main form of transportation for quite a while. It's almost two decades now, and I really love riding. I'm actually getting more into biking to the extent that like, I'm starting to think about doing recreational cycling as opposed to just transportation. <laughs> Interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about how getting around has evolved for you over the last two decades? You say it's been a while since you started biking, but was it a pretty quick transition or something that slowly happened and you kept building on it? I guess I would say it was gradual. I started because I had a job while I was still in university. And where I lived and where I worked were really awkward to get from one to the other by bus. So at the time, I was just taking the bus. I've never really owned a car. So I decided I should get a bike. My aunt gave me her old bike. It was this three-speed 1970s Raleigh. And I started riding to work, and I discovered it was way faster than taking the bus because I would have to transfer buses. And it was way cheaper. bike was free. And bus passes are kind of expensive for a student. I really liked it, even though it rains quite a bit in my city. I then upgraded to a slightly better bike, because at the time I didn't really realize that I could just change the bike. (laughs) I had chrome rims on this old thing. So when I would brake with those old brake pads that were so dry, Mm -hmm. if it was raining and I would try to stop suddenly, I would end up coasting into the intersection or something. So (laughs) instead of getting new rims and brakes, I got a whole new bike. (laughs) The nice part of that story is that I've, I still ride the bike 17 years later, so I, I do kind of like that one that I got, my, my first bike that, that I bought for myself as an adult. After I graduated, I was working downtown, so it was actually just as easy to get there by bus as it was to bike, but I still kept biking because it, I don't know, it was more fun. I liked the exercise. I started to 
carry more and more things by bike. I remember going to pick up a turkey for Thanksgiving, strapping this 14 pound turkey to my rear rack or <laughs> getting pumpkins for Halloween or kitty litter, like giant bags of kitty litter on sale and having my bike kind of wobble around from the back. <laughs> I so, Yeah. So that hobby of like carrying crazy things by bike started quite a while ago. So what did that transition look like once you had kids and continuing to be a car-free family? Well, we first did a lot of research and found that there wasn't a lot of information about, you know, what's the safest thing to use to carry your baby on a bike. <laughs> so we ended up going with a trailer first. And then about a year later, we got a front seat. We bought an Ibert. So that was when my son was uh, almost two. And I much preferred the front seat. So that's what we use all the time. I found the trailer kind of cumbersome and was awkward to lock it up as well because those things get stolen all the time here. Yes. And it's so much easier to interact with your child when they're in the front seat versus in the trailer. Absolutely. Yeah. You can see the same thing. And I mean, he couldn't really sleep in the iBert. That was the one thing. Mm -hmm. Trailer was better if he was going to sleep or if we were going to use it like a stroller. But because it's so big, we couldn't really use it as a stroller in most of the stores here. It was more like if we went to the farmer's market or park or something. But with the Ibert, we had sort of a choice there, and I really liked the Ibert. And then once we had another child, I was using a combination of the trailer and the Ibert. But mm. that was so complicated when I got off the bike. Right. Because <laughs> I had to get one off the bike and then lock up part of the bike and then while the older one is not running into traffic, hopefully, then lock up the trailer and then get the baby out of the trailer. And it was sort of like this complicated set of movements. And if you did one in the wrong order, you had to start all over again And because I couldn't hold the baby while I was locking the trailer. So I lasted about two months doing that. And then we bought a, a Yuba Mundo. <laughs> and then it was amazing. I had this thing with a double center stand. I could just park it, put the kids on carry lots of groceries. We got a big basket in the front. It could carry a ridiculous amount of Costco groceries or I've used it to carry lumber and all kinds of things. And I mean, it was nice to have that cargo bike, but we still kind of, we kind of wanted to have a front loading cargo bike. We'd seen them when we traveled to Amsterdam a few years before, but they're quite expensive. So we couldn't buy one new, but we had a, a search going on Craigslist, like an automated search. And one popped up a couple years after we got the window and we managed to get it this broken used buck beats and then we fixed it up and so now we have one of each type of bike we got the long tail and buck beats i almost always ride the buck feats. that's the style that i prefer and i like having everything up front but it's also really nice to have two cargo bikes because if the kids are fighting we can separate them mm -hmm. or bring both kids and go grocery shopping and not have to limit what you you put in your bike do you find that you use the two bikes for really different things, or is it just more of a preference of which one you prefer to be riding? There's certain things that are better with one or the other. Like if you're carrying a big kid or an adult, the long tail is better. Because an adult sitting on the back, it's kind of more like riding on the back of a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. If an adult is in the box of the buck feeds, it feels like you're in a clown car at the circus. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it, and it's fine, but it's a little awkward to get in and out. For large bulky items like a large box or a kitchen table, <laughs> for example, the buck feet is great because the load can be low and centered. But generally, I just try to do almost everything with the buck feet. It's mostly because of the, the way it handles and the riding position that I really like. 
it's really like you sit up really straight and that's what I prefer. Yes. We don't have a Bachfitz, but we have the Madsen. And so it's a big bucket in the back. And I feel the same about the position. My husband prefers to ride the Yuba that he likes the way that feels better. But I really love the very upright position of the Madsen. Yeah, it's just a preference thing. Yeah. How do the other members of your family, what has their take been on being a car-free family? Do you have a slightly older child? If that is something that is normal within the place where you live, if lots of people are getting around without a car, or if it's something that he really notices as being different or unusual? I don't think he's really noticed it yet. We have other friends who don't have a car. And even the ones who do have cars don't use them that much. We don't live downtown, but we are, it's fairly dense where we are. So driving is almost more awkward than anything else. So a lot of people walk, bike. I think our neighborhood, the biking to work is about 12 or 13% of the population. That's really impressive. The whole city, actually, it's only about half, just under half that drive to work. So about half of people take transit or walk or bike when they're going to work. And yeah, we're not that unusual. And my husband, he's been biking since he was a kid. He sort of started riding longer distances and for transportation earlier than I did. There hasn't been like a time where I had to convince him or anything. You guys are in Vancouver and... One of the things that I'm very jealous of is the amazing car sharing program that you have. Can you tell a little bit about how that works and how your family uses it? Yeah, Vancouver has had a car sharing co-op called Moto since 1996. I've been a member since 2003. And at the moment, there's about 500 vehicles. They're all different sizes of cars. So you could get a cargo van or a subcompact or a pickup truck or a minivan. They're parked in specific locations all over the city, so the car kind of lives in one particular block or maybe in a parking stall in a parking lot. You just make a booking, usually online, or you could do it by phone, and then you just walk over, pick it up with a little key fob that lets you into the car, and you drive around and bring it back to the same spot before your booking ends, and they bill you at the end of the month. So it's pretty simple, and if you don't need to drive, you don't pay for anything. And you can also, because of all the different vehicles, we've used a pickup truck sometimes to go pick up a big load of compost for the garden or a little play structure from Craigslist for the kids in the backyard. Or we used an eight-passenger van to go camping with another family. I'm very jealous of that situation, both in that there are a variety of cars and vehicles that you can use. Because the car sharing program we had in Austin when I lived there was only smart cars. Oh, yeah. Car to go, probably, right? It was. And it makes it less useful than what you're describing. We have other car sharing organizations here too. Uh, Zipcar came in and then Car to go, and now there's another one called Evo. So we've got four car sharing organizations in the city, and they're all a little different. So I think Evo and Moto are both kind of two way. So you pick up the car somewhere and you bring it back. No, sorry, Zipcar and Moto are two way. Evo and Car to go kind of have like a home range where you just pick it up and then drop it off wherever. So you can do one-way trips, which it's kind of for a different purpose. You're replacing taxi rides maybe. or And then the car-to-goes are mostly just two-passenger, although they've introduced some four-passenger cars. But for us, the two-way thing doesn't 
or sorry, the one-way thing doesn't really make sense since we still have two car seats. So if we went to our destination and dropped the car off, we'd have to take the car seats out and carry them around with us wherever we are. Right. <laughs> so the two-way makes more sense with little kids. So what does that look like? Is it just that they're within your block, so it's really easy to pull the car seats down and get them in? They're usually, the closest car is about a block or two away. Usually one of us will walk over, get the car, bring it back to the house, and then we load up the car seats and the children. If it's just one parent, I have a little cart thing that came with a cooler, so I strap the, the car seat to that, and then the older kid can carry his booster, and we can all just walk to the car. When they were younger, I could also kind of cram the the bigger car seat in the bottom of the stroller and then put the baby car seat into the stroller. Okay. So I could get them to the car that way as well. If you have that, like, you know, those baby bucket car seats that can sometimes click into your stroller, it works. Nice. Can you tell the story about how, about your son's idea of car ownership based on his experience with car sharing? Yeah, because we've never owned a car when he's been alive, car sharing is what he grew up with. So mama or papa would go out of the house and they would come back and there would be a car in front of the house. We would all just get in and then drive somewhere. It was a different car sometimes, a different color. So I realized eventually that he didn't understand that there was only specific cars that we could use. He would just point to a car on the street and say, let's take that one. (laughs) He thought that any car was sort of up for the taking because it wasn't that clear to him that that only specific cars were ones that we could use. (laughs) So yeah, I had to explain to him that, well, some families actually have their own car and only they use it. (laughs) And they don't share it with everyone like we do. (laughs) So I love that. It's just normal to him. Yeah. So right now you're getting around with mostly the two cargo bikes, including some car share as well. Do you see anything changing in the next few years with how you guys are making it work as your kids get older? I bet we'll use the cargo bikes less when the kids are riding on their own. Right now, they both can ride. The youngest actually got her training wheels off about a month ago. Exciting. But she's not quite four. We don't really let her ride on the street very much. (laughs) She's still pretty wobbly. But So we need the cargo bikes to carry them and their bikes sometimes. So we'll go out for a, a ride as a family and maybe we'll carry both of them through the busier streets to the off-street path or something like that. And then we get their bikes out and they can ride for that part. And then we put them back in the bikes for the difficult parts. Or if they get tired, they can always you know, toss the little bike in the buckets. So right now we're kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. And when they get older, I don't think they're going to need to be carried anywhere near as much. So I'll be able to ride something, a bike that's less than 90 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is always such a treat when I ride my regular bike, which doesn't happen very often. It feels so fast. It's like this crazy light (laughs) racing bike, except it's a heavy old steel cruiser bike. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're entering that phase where my son is biking independently some places, but they have to be close and not as busy of roads. And I've been just trying to think ahead of what is that going to look like as we make that slow transition to them being independent cyclists. It's really nice to have the cargo bikes, though, because it gives you so many options. Mm-hmm. I've realized that my kids can ride a lot farther than I think they can, because when we go out with the cargo bikes, we never have to say, okay, well, the kids are with us, so we'll only go a few miles, and then we'll turn around. You know, we don't have to make that commitment. 
where they have to ride the whole thing or there's no other choice. With the cargo bikes, we can just ride as far as we want. And when they get tired, we put them on the bikes and we can keep going. So we don't have to limit how long they're going to ride for like we would if we were using a, a regular bike. So the other day we, we biked. My son rode on the road with us. And my daughter was carried in the buck seats. We biked to this relatively new rail trail through the city. And then we rode down that and then to this great area called Granville Island. And then we rode along a seawall path and back home again. And my son, he rode almost all of it. There was one little part that's quite busy with traffic that we towed his bike for. Um, and then he got a bit tired on the big hill up home. So he did 17 kilometers Wow! on his little 20-inch single speed. And he's almost seven at the time. And my daughter rode, she rode about half that. It was like eight and a half kilometers along that rail trail. And that's like on a 12-inch bike that she just got the training wheels off. <laughs> so just because they could do as much as they wanted to, that's that's what they wanted to do. I don't know if I would have planned a ride that was 17 kilometers for a for an almost seven-year-old. <laughs> right, because that could end really poorly. You don't want to take the chance that your kid is going to have a meltdown and you're going to have to walk back home. <laughs> right, and it's going to make it less fun and less exciting for them to want to go again, where it seems so low pressure, you can ride as much as you want, yeah. and then you can just go for a ride and rest. Yeah. Besides just biking as a family, you also are involved in a lot of advocacy in your city. Yeah. Can you talk about how you got started doing that and what kind of advocacy work you do? I, I started a blog when I was pregnant, and it was sort of going the, the usual direction of the, the mommy blog. And I got involved with some other mom bloggers, and uh, I was nominated for this contest. They have the top Vancouver mom bloggers every year, and I was in the top 30, which got me on a lot of PR lists and stuff. So I got tons and tons of, uh, you know, hey, do you want to review this sippy cup and, uh, you know, going to events and that kind of thing. And I started to kind of learn about, I don't know, just from trying things out, what I really wanted to write about. And it wasn't sippy cups. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to write about what we were doing, which was getting around the city by bike and using car sharing with kids because there's some tricks to it. And I know a lot of people think it can't be done. So I kind of rebranded my blog as Spokesmama with the idea that spokes as in bicycle spokes, but also speaking about things. So I would say the blog came first, yeah. And then I, I met someone at a bike ride. It's a really cool ride. Every year in February, people meet up at a light rail. We call it the SkyTrain. We meet at the station and then everybody rides eastward in the city following the crows that go east to where they roost at dusk. So you ride along on this path with a bunch of other people, like a few dozen people, and there's just crows all over overhead flying and stopping and cawing. And, and then the ride ends at the place where they roost. So you stop in this kind of little wooded park at the end of the path, and there's just crows everywhere, thousands of crows. It's a really cool ride. Wow, yeah. So I met another woman there and we started talking a bit. We kind of hatched a plan to start organizing more events to help get people with babies and toddlers into biking. So we did a, a little family biking festival that year. And then the following year, we started doing workshops about seats and trailers and cargo bikes and a bit about the rules of the road and safety. And 
tips for carrying snacks and how do you get your toddler not to run into traffic when you're locking up the bike, that kind of thing. So there was that. And then somewhere in that time, I also, another friend of mine, she encouraged me to apply for a place on an advisory council for the for the city council. Mm-hmm. It's called the Active Transportation Policy Council. So they usually have about 150 applicants who are interested in being on the, the council. And then they pick a few for, it's 15 people, but they only have a few turnover each year. But they want to have a, a more diverse representation of who's in the city and who can speak for people who walk and take the bus and, and bike. Um, and skateboard so yeah I got a position there it's just a volunteer thing Um, we meet about once a month and yeah we advise developers and the city city councillors on upcoming projects that impact active transportation in the city it's a really unique position to be in to be able to see that overview and see what's happening at the city to accommodate active transportation and you're seeing it from both points of view both as the user and as I'm sure you'll talk about in a minute, as an instructor for cycling and helping people who are interested in that, but then also what is being done at that bigger level to make it more accessible for people? Yeah. I mean, our, our city council is pretty pro-biking and pro-walking. That isn't too much of an issue. It's, it's always just about money and priorities. In my opinion, and the changes aren't happening fast enough, but <laughs> I know right. compared to a lot of cities, it is pretty good already. But it is interesting to be able to see what's what's coming and how things are decided and what the current policies are as well. Like on parking is a big one. If you build a multi-unit residential building, like an apartment building, condo, there's a minimum required car parking that you have to provide. But there isn't really a minimum that you need to provide for bike parking. So we've looked at projects that are coming and said you need more than one bike parking space for a suite because most places have two or three people living in them. Right. And they're going to have one bike each, right? They might only have one car, but a family will have three or four bikes. So if they have one space to park their bikes, then they're not really going to be able to bike, are they? Because bike parking somewhere that's really secure is a huge thing for people to be able to bike. Because if your bike keeps getting stolen, you're not going to keep riding it. It's too expensive to keep buying a new bike. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the classes that you teach and who that is serving and what the class covers? The the ones that I do with my friends, we applied for a little grant to fund it. It's called the Neighborhood Small Grants. You can apply to get up to $1,000 for little community building projects. So we've applied three years in a row to do the classes and Usually uh, we just advertise them on Facebook and they fill up really fast. And it's usually parents with uh, babies or toddlers who are interested in starting to bike or they want to change what they're doing. So we did four of them last year. We had childcare on site. We did kind of a PowerPoint thing downstairs with all of the information we wanted to get, get across. And then at the end, we had our cargo bikes and a child seat and a trailer that people could test out, a little uh, basketball court. So that's kind of something that we've done on our own. I'm also a cycling instructor for Hub Cycling, which is a nonprofit. And those courses that I teach are, there's actually quite a few of them. (laughs) I teach in schools, mostly to elementary kids, sometimes high school. So we teach a couple of different programs. One of them is based around learning to ride a bike and 
basic safety skills like hand signals and just riding straight and stopping, what stop signs mean, all those sort of the road markings and the signs. The other one is a little more extensive, so we focus on the the rules of the road, riding skills like stopping and hand signals and shoulder checking. And then we also do a road ride where we actually take kids out on the street in small groups and, and practice on the last day. So those are a lot of fun because we'll, these kids are often, they know how to ride bikes, but they're not really allowed to ride on the road or they just don't have that much experience because their parents don't bike that much. Most kids, their, their families don't ride for transportation. So it's kind of just this thing that they do to play on their street or in their driveway or something. So it's quite empowering for a 12 year old to learn how to use a four way stop and take her turn by herself between the cars that are going the other direction or whatever. It really is, because if you're in a car when you're younger, you're just a passenger, so you don't have to pay as much attention to the details, where yeah. when you're on a bike, you really do. Yeah. At a younger age, you're responsible for that. Yeah, you need to know the rules. And here, legally, if you're on a bike, you are you have the same rights and responsibilities as a vehicle, so you've got to know what you're doing. So the kids' programs are fun. We also teach programs to adults who want to improve their game or start commuting to work. So it's again, more, you know, rules of the road and we do a road ride with them as well to practice. And then one of my favorite programs to teach is working with immigrants and refugees. Mm-hmm. So usually we did four groups just a couple of weeks ago and I taught them two different days, each group. About half of the people didn't know how to ride bicycles at all. And the other half can ride, but they want to learn what the rules are here. They were, yeah, they were a fantastic group. Just about all of the, the learn to ride group got riding and pedaling and we went for a little ride along the, the seawall path. They were all smiles by the end of it. <laughs> it was fantastic. It's such an empowering thing to be able to transport yourself where you need to go cheaply. The money thing is huge, especially for the refugees. There was another family that I uh, heard about. They came here from Syria probably about a year ago and they got donated bikes for most of their children and the parents, but they had a baby and they didn't have any way of carrying the baby. So there's a nonprofit organization that I'm involved with that works with refugee families. They knew about this family and they contacted me and asked if I had any ideas about how they could get something to carry the baby and put the word out in this Facebook group that I'm an admin for. And within, I don't know, about an hour, we had a trailer donated and the store that originally sold the trailer fixed up the Velcro on it. And then the family got it pretty quickly. And I learned later that one of their children uses a wheelchair. So whenever they go out, it's actually really hard for them to go anywhere by bus because the buses, if they're full, they'll just pass you up because they don't have space for the wheelchair. So getting anywhere was was difficult. And they have it's seven children. So it's a big family, right? All of that bus fare would cost a lot. So uh, with all of the bikes and the trailer, they could all go for a ride. And the one in the wheelchair, it's like a power chair. So I guess she could probably go fairly fast. She would ride along the sidewalk beside them and they could actually go somewhere as a family without having to worry about, you know, whether the bus was going to pick them up. And, And then it's essentially free once you've got the bikes. It made a big difference to them. Very cool. So in all of that different kind of work that you're doing, what have you found to be the biggest barriers for families? that are thinking about trying to bike more and use more active transportation? I would say just the 
fear of riding in traffic. I mean, it's pretty scary to ride in with the cars on a busier street. Mm-hmm. People don't feel safe doing that. And, and it isn't always that safe. <laughs> Drivers can be pretty distracted or, you know. And then sort of security storage is an issue for, for the bikes. So we're really lucky. We have a garage. So that's where we can put our bikes. And we don't have to carry them upstairs. We don't have to. The space that we have is quite big. So we don't have to really limit the number of bikes we have. <laughs> Carrying a cargo bike upstairs is really a non-starter. That's yeah not a happening thing. Yeah. And they're, they're valuable once you do get a cargo bike. So if someone steals it, can you afford to replace it? So I would say that's the main two things is like storage and security of, of the bike when it's stored and just riding on the road. Both of them need a lot of infrastructure. <laughs> I totally agree that what you're saying, that infrastructure is what needs to happen to accommodate and to make it so that everyone feels safe riding on the road and that everyone has access to secure bike parking. But what would your recommendations be for people now if those are their concerns in terms of how to move past that? Well, here in Vancouver, there are quite a few, we call them bikeways. I guess greenways is a common term in the U.S. So it's the neighborhood street that's not too busy. And there will be some traffic calming along it, like maybe one block will be one way. The next block is one way the opposite direction. Or there's diverters and intersections so that cars can't drive all the way through. So planning your route can really help improve your ride. For me, if I want to ride east-west in my city, I could take the road that I live on, but it's quite busy. It'd be really direct, but it would not be a fun experience. So I go two blocks north or south and ride along those streets because they're much quieter, much more enjoyable to ride on. So sometimes it means going out of your way a little bit, but finding a route that's quieter and feels safer. It really makes the ride a lot more enjoyable. So if there's a bike map for your city or a website that has advice on that, or even just using Google Maps to like look through, I'll often look at the street view with Google Maps to check, okay, is, is there a light at that intersection or is there a button that I can press to stop the light? Things like that. And just planning it out so that you don't end up in this place where you don't know how to cross this giant road or it gives you a sense of the traffic sometimes even with Google Street View. <laughs> and finding other people who are biking are happy to share their knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. The Facebook group that I've mentioned before, my friend, the one that I met on the Crow Ride, she started the group few years ago and I've helped promote it. So it went from about three dozen people a few years ago to uh, we just passed 900. So now it's really active. People are posting questions. And one of the questions that comes up a lot is how do I ride from this place to this place? Yeah. So just being able to find a maybe a Facebook group or something where mm -hmm. it focuses on family cycling, if possible, uh, maybe start one yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big help because there's lots of other people who've done it. We did that when we went bike camping recently. Yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about the where you went and how that came about. Yeah, we last year we discovered this great campsite in a place called Newcastle Island. So it's, I don't know how far away it is, but we kind of wanted to bike there, but we were a little nervous about the bike to the ferry because you have to get to a ferry and take a boat and then you go from the ferry terminal into another city and then another boat to the island where you camp. So last year we did by transit, which was actually quite a lot of fun. And then this year we decided, okay, let's, let's just go for it. Now we've seen the route. We know 
you know, what the place is like, let's just add one more level of, I don't know, <laughs> complexity, I guess, by biking there. So we asked in the Facebook group, okay, who's ridden to this ferry terminal? And like, what's your advice? What, how was it? What was it like riding with kids? And we had a lot of people give us some advice and answer. It's, it's better in the summer because there's a lot of people riding that route. So the drivers are kind of used to seeing cyclists. So you won't be the only one on the road. They're not kind of surprised when they come around a corner and see you. The road to the ferry, the first half is through downtown and then you can take a quiet road. And then the second half is along this two lane, really narrow, twisting road with a whole lot of hills. So you're going fairly slowly a lot of the time. There's quite a lot of blind corners and the roadway is very, very narrow at some points. It wasn't the, the most fun ride that I've had, but it really wasn't as bad as we had imagined it would be. So yeah, so we rode to the ferry and then we took the ferry and then the ride on the other side is only, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then we crammed all of our stuff onto this little boat, got to the island. And once we were there on Newcastle, it was great because now we had bikes so we could ride around the island and we got to see a lot more of it. To hike this big loop all the way around is about maybe nine or 10 kilometers, which is more than my kids can do and more than I can do because I have arthritis in my hip. So having the bikes on the island made it way more fun this year. Yeah, it sounds great. Going camping and going on those kind of longer trips is something that often feels like something you can't do without a car. So it's really neat to hear about other families who are finding ways to make that work with that combination of public transit, biking, asking people for routes, and it's something we found in our own life. We've recently been doing some bike camping and it just isn't something that really occurred to me till I heard of other people doing it. It's like, oh yeah, we could do that too. It expanded my idea of what was possible with a bike. Yeah, it's fun to do that. It just feels really good to arrive there under your own steam. So overall, I am very envious of your location in terms of the facilities and infrastructure that's available to you as a car-free family, but I know it still can be challenging. What have you found to be the biggest challenges or hurdles to being a car-free family where you are? This last winter was very difficult because we had way more snow than normal. Mm. Normally, Vancouver gets two days here, maybe three days there, but no more than a handful of days where there's actually snow on the ground. And this past winter, we had basically snow and ice on the ground from the beginning of December until sometime in February. It was ridiculous. So we had to stop biking for about six weeks. And yeah, that was really hard. Part of that time was the Christmas break, but there was a few weeks where we were like walking to school with my son and with a six-year-old, it was a 45-minute walk each way. Wow. <laughs> so that was kind of tiring. Um, and, you know, walking on icy sidewalks because because the city is not used to snow, people aren't used to shoveling their sidewalks or right. there's not that many snow plows. So everyone just thinks, oh, well, I'll just wait till it melts. And then two months later, there's still three inches of ice on the sidewalks. Yeah. <laughs> so... The weather, if that happens again, is, is going to be awkward. But I mean, hopefully that was an anomaly. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's not that nice to get up in the morning when it's still dark in the winter and it's pouring with rain. Get on all the rain gear and 
put the kids in the buck feeds with the rig cover, they stay nice and dry and I get completely dripping wet, you know, getting them out to school. <laughs> but I mean, we don't own the car. So to get a car share vehicle just to do the school run seems silly to me. It would be probably end up being more of a hassle to go pick it up, get all the car seats and everything for just a quick run. So I just, you know, grin and bear it. Well, for your sake, I hope the winter is mild this year. <laughs> yeah, I would like to have a nice, normal, you know, green Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the challenges. But what have you found to be the biggest benefits of being a car-free family? I mean, it's affordable. We did a major overhaul on the Buckfeeds recently. We replaced the front light and upgraded the rear brake and totally changed the front brake, which involved replacing a whole bunch of parts, you know, the fork, the rims, the spokes, the hub. It was a big job, but it still costs, what was that, about $400? And I mean, a bus pass for the three of us for that month would have been $400. It's just so much cheaper, even with the repairs and maintenance. And even when you factor in the cost of cargo bikes, if you think about how long they last, and yeah, it's it's way, way less money. What I've really come to realize in the last year or two, though, is how much cycling really improves my mental health. I didn't work outside the home since I had my son seven years ago until a year ago. So for six years, it was mostly just me home with the kids, occasionally having conversations with other adults. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, you really had to go out and, and seek it. And I find that just, I guess it's partly the exercise and all of the, the hormones and the neurotransmitters that that helps uh, pump up. But also just the, the social nature of biking that really keeps me happier. Yes. Because when I go out for a ride, I, it's unusual if I'm riding for five or 10 kilometers that I don't see somebody I know who's walking on the street or, or biking or whatever. And because you're on a bike, it's really easy to stop and, and chat. Where in a car, you would just go right by them. Yeah, I probably wouldn't see them. And it's awkward to stop and talk, really. So <laughs> it's easier to talk to people and... Or even just strangers, you know, you stop at a, at a light and another cyclist comes up and they ask about your weird cargo bike or when you're locking up your bike, people are always asking. Yes. A week does not go by that somebody doesn't approach me about our cargo bikes. It's, yeah, it invites conversation in a really great way, Absolutely. I think. Yeah. And then there's, you know, because I've got one or two kids on the bike, my children, they sort of treat it like a parade float or something like it's <laughs> often pinwheels or funny lights or decorations and. My daughter like waves at everybody as she goes by. <laughs> and so people are always saying hi and smiling. It's a much friendlier experience. As a rider on a regular bike, it does feel a little bit more kind of road warrior. You know, drivers are like, oh, I don't want to see you on the road. Get out of my way. But when you're riding with children, it's totally different experience. It is. Yes. I have also found that more community oriented nature of being a cyclist, that I really do feel more connected to my community walking and biking than I would if I was in a car all the time. Absolutely. You notice things more because you're traveling at 15 or 20 kilometers per hour instead of 50 or 70 or whatever. It's, it's a much more human speed. You can actually see like, oh, look, this playground is almost finished. Or I don't know. The, there's, there's a spot um, in our area. They kind of reclaimed this little waterway. And after they built it, it's not like particularly natural. It still looks a bit like a canal, but there's trees around it. And I guess it's natural enough because about a year after they built it, a beaver showed up and built a lodge there. 
And then another beaver. I don't, where, where did the other beaver come from? I don't even know how it got there. And then they had babies. And so now there's four or five beavers living in this city park in the middle of the city. So when we're riding past, we'll often look over, over the railings like, oh, is the beaver out there? And then if we see it, we'll stop and watch the beaver. Last time we went there looking for the beaver, we didn't find the beaver, but there was an otter. So <laughs> things like that are easy to spot when you're biking. But at this particular park, actually, there's a, a seawall path that goes through the park, but there's no roads that you could actually see the beaver lodge from. So you couldn't have that experience in a car at all. Um, you'd have to park it and get out of your car and walk a block just to get there. You get access to things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to see uh, with a car. Agreed. So what advice do you have for listeners who are curious or interested in trying to incorporate more active transportation into their lives? I would say ask friends or, or look for people who are doing it already and ask for a bit of advice. People are very often willing to loan you stuff or let you try out their cargo bike, things like that, or at least give you some advice and start slow. So don't go the whole hog and burn yourself out because it didn't work. You can find a lot of stuff used to save money when you buy gear. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth trying. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> Planning, I would say, is another thing too, is just plan your route. Think about it differently when uh-huh. you're biking because those streets that you drive on because they're the most direct or the fastest are often terrible to bike on. <laughs> so don't worry about getting there fast. Worry about enjoying the ride. So plan your ride to be to be on a nice quiet street that will feel more comfortable and keep you riding instead of scaring you away from it. Yes. And that all comes back to that idea of getting plugged into the community. Like you were saying, find other people who are interested in it or other people who are already doing it because they can help support you and help you plan and have a good experience. Yeah. Sometimes that's a Facebook group. There's a few cities I know in the U.S. where there's a great bike shop that actually caters to family cycling. So the staff there probably have good ideas. If they sell a lot of uh, family bikes or cargo bikes, they probably will know more about riding uh, with kids. Right. Let's end by having you share with listeners the best way to contact you if they have any more questions or just want to continue following your car-free journey. Yeah, I blog at spokesmama.com and I'm all over the internet on social media. So Twitter and Instagram, my handle is spokesmama. I have a Facebook page as well, which is Spokesmama. If you're around the Vancouver area or you're planning to travel here, the Vancouver Family Biking Facebook group might be of interest. Yeah, that's about it. Perfect. Well, I'll link to all of that stuff in the show notes so people can get connected with you. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the show. In the show notes, you'll find links to everything we talked about in this episode. You can find me on Instagram at Family Petals or on my website, familypetals.com. Next week, Elspeth Cool will join me to talk about her business, Four Star Family Cyclery, and what she has learned from the experience of biking year-round with kids in Logan Square, Chicago. I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>